Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Backerkit and The Gadget Flow. Backerkit makes software that crowdfunding project creators use to survey backers, organize data, and manage orders for fulfillment by automating your operations and helping you print and ship faster. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am joined with Mark Blackburn with Wrap Ties. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, that's no problem. Thanks for inviting me, Dan. So Wrap Tie, you guys ran an Indiegogo campaign about this a little bit later than this time last year, the world's smartest multifunction tie-down strap. Really innovative product. You guys raised tens of thousands of dollars from Indiegogo. So let's talk about the innovation itself. Where did this idea come from? What inspired you to create Wrap Tie? Okay, so Reptile is a partnership with me and a good friend of mine from Australia. He had an idea probably 10 years ago now. He was looking for something he could strap his bike to the wall when he was unloading his kid from, you know, from the child seat on the back of the bike. And he tried everything, you know, rope and tape and bungee cords. And, and he, couldn't, he couldn't find any one strap or, or tie down. He could operate... And, you know, keep his kid from wriggling and falling out of the backseat at the same time. So, you know, he spent a couple of years tinkering and, and figuring out a solution. And eventually, you know, this is what he came up with, the Reptile. So I'm sure the, uh, the kid on the back of the bike didn't like the, uh, the product. <laughs> well, the kid survived, thank- thankfully. So the kid uh, is starting to be grown up now. Good. So when you guys were creating Raptize, what did that process look like? How did you guys go about deciding what features, materials, how to design it, all of that? I guess the design idea was kind of conceptualized over the kind of five to 10 years that Paul had it in his head. And then when we met a couple of years ago, or when we caught back up with each other a couple of years ago, and he pitched the idea to me, we basically sat down and looked at how would you commercialize something like this? How would you make it? And really, you know, what, what, what could be the key aspects of this product that we could, that would differentiate us from everything else on the market? So that was the first step was trying to turn his idea, which was just an idea at the time to something that we could actually make. So, so we spent a bit of time doing that and we spent quite a lot of time figuring out actually where we were going to make it as well because Australia unfortunately is quite an expensive country to make things so straight away we uh we, we were stuck um from the get-go on where to make it so that was the first big challenge we had so I'm, I'm curious you know we've worked with a few different companies out of Australia and Australia seems to be picking up in terms of the innovation and the scale and the startups that are coming out of it what's what's changed there over the past few years to spark innovation there innovation's always been in Australia the thing that's happening now in Australia is people are getting more access so you know with the internet and with the crowdfunding 
and with people who are looking for investors, angel investors, there's more opportunity to get the ideas out. You know, 10, 15 years ago, before the internet, you know, the only way you could launch an idea was to go and talk to some company and ask if they would commercialize it for you. So that's really what changed is companies like Indiegogo and Kickstarter uh, have just created a platform for these people. You know, the ideas have always been there. They've just never been able to get out there. So from Australia, now you're in Taiwan. What brought you there? Kind of a long story, but my wife is Taiwanese. And we were kind of, I was sick of working my job um, and looking for a different kind of lifestyle. And we ended up in Taiwan at Rindaban the same time as when my friend pitched me the idea. And it just so happens that Taiwan is basically one of the, I think they do something like 70 or 80% of the world's trainers in this country, the run and choose. So it's high tech fabric manufacturing which is perfect place for our strap so i guess serendipitous we ended up in this country and that's where we started looking for um our manufacturers excellent so let's talk about the the indiegogo campaign with our founders on the show we usually always talk about how important the month or two or the year leading up to launch is what were some of the things that you did that led to your great and successful launch for Raptai? so i read I I can't even remember reading so much in my life. I, I read every website there was, every training course there was, and just, you know, took all that information and just try and sifted it down uh, into a workable kind of project line Into because you know, there's just so much information out there now for people looking to kickstart projects. So that was the very first thing I did was just try and shift through everything that was out there and come up with like a game plan. And really the game plan was, it was to try and create, I guess, the image of a professional company, I guess. So we didn't look like a bunch of hacks who had just put together some kind of strap in the back of their shed. So that's really what we, we looked to do and create a professional looking product with a professional looking front. And and that was an awful lot of work. I bet. So with all those marketing efforts that you put forth into this project, where did you see the biggest return on your investment? So we, I mean, we tried everything. So we tried, you know, Facebook marketing, Google ads, all those kind of ads. And the one thing we found that really worked the most, you know, we, we, we tried to grow our email list. We hit all our friends, like everything that they tell you to do. But the one thing that really helped was when we identified the key influences in our market segment. So people who had a good, strong voice, and we, we got them to basically recommend our product, review our product. And from those reviews, that's really where we got 90% of our sales, I would say. How did you end up finding and sourcing those influencers? So it was a lot of trial and error. So, you know, we, we, you read a lot of reviews online. Is this company trustworthy? Is that company trustworthy? So there's a lot of trial and error like that. And then also, you know, it's just, it's hard work. You just, you know, I had a list of maybe 200 or more gadget sites and camping sites. And we just went through every single one and we just call them and we try and get them to review. And, uh, you know, there's no kind of easy way. You've just got to, you just got to put the hard yards in really and um, send hundreds and hundreds of emails, make hundreds and hundreds of calls. It was, it was long and hard 
found slug. Got it. So I'm interested to know, because you guys ran your campaign during, you know, the start of the winter and the, the holidays here in the States, was there a reason you ran it during that time frame? We, not, not really. I mean, we, um, we were looking to validate our design online. We, we had a good idea that people liked it. We had a lot of prototypes out there that were being tested and people were really liking it. So the one thing we were really interested in was just getting some feedback from the market. And so that timing for us didn't really, it didn't really matter. We would have ideally liked to have launched it a little bit sooner because I think we ended up launching in November, but I think the original plan was to launch in October, but there was a few, a few issues with production, like getting pre-production samples and testing that delayed until November. So maybe a little bit late. Got it. So you guys recently started to ship the product. So congrats on that. Um, Thank you. What did it look like, I guess, as you moved away from a crowdfunding campaign to an e-commerce business or wholesale business? What did that transition look like? When you go, so if you do a good launch and we were so lucky, we, we ended up, I think three times what we, our target was. So we were kind of a bit overawed and, and, we went from shipping, you know, hundreds and hundreds of customers to just silence. <laughs> you know, the, the, the website was live, but, you know, nobody knows about the website. Nobody's on our Facebook page anymore. And, and people just, people don't care anymore. And that's, that's the, the first thing we noticed was how quiet it was. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate side, right? You get all the, the press or the buzz and everything's yeah. new with the crowdfunding campaign. But once the campaign's over, how do you continue to generate buzz and get sales to continue to come through your website or the e-commerce page? Yeah, yeah. So what tips would you have for someone transitioning to e-commerce? I mean, we, we do have, we had a plan. We had a plan right from the beginning and we're kind of, so we've got a product that we can sell kind of at volume. So it's kind of like a, it's a hardware item. It's a strap. So we wanted to target not just, you know, B2C. We, we want to target B2B. So part of our strategy is to talk to larger customers. And that takes time. Um, and that's, that's not really online. That's on the phone. That's email. And so that kind of stuff is just slow. And, and you've just got to expect that. But in terms of the online stuff, like getting the website going, you've really got to have a marketing plan and you've got to kind of figure out, you know, step one, once you leave the world of the get the, you know, the new startup, it's which kind of small niche segment am I going to target? So for example, you know, tie down straps, who do you target, right? Do you target camping, surfing? hardware people, plumbers, chippies, I mean, so everybody uses a strap. So one of the big mistakes we made in the beginning was just trying to hit everybody. And we, and we just, you waste a lot of time, you waste a lot of money. So, so what we learned very early on was just to really go very deep in one segment and really start attacking that one segment and then just grow organically from there. So what was the biggest thing that you learned through the whole process of launching your Indiegogo campaign? The Indiegogo, the one, the very f biggest thing we learned from Indiegogo is to leverage other people's connections. So there's a lot of people out there who've been selling products like yours. They know they've already got a client base. They already know all their customers. You've got to talk to those people because they have all the authority that you don't have. I mean, we've, we've got a product that nobody's ever seen before. They've never heard of it. 
they don't even know what it does. Why would they buy it off my website? Why would they trust me? So you've got to go and talk to people who have already gained that trust in the marketplace. That's, you know, by far the biggest thing we learned and, and they're still learning today. Awesome. Well, Mark, this is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Yep. Let's go. All right. So what inspired you to become an entrepreneur? I'm sick of working for people who had just didn't have the same kind of dreams and aspirations that I did. And I just, I wanted to do so many different things and I just frustrated time after time in my job and, you know, where I saw the company going and I just wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. I think a lot of people resonate with that. So if you could grab a beer with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Oh, well, my big hero growing up was Richard Branson. I mean, he's, I grew up in the UK and he's kind of something of an idol in the UK. So nice. What would be your first question for Sir Richard? I, I would ask him how he, how he, puts up with all the in-between bits because what I'm finding in the entrepreneur life is there's the challenging times which are fun and you know you get stuck in you roll your sleeves up but 90% of the time is waiting for the next thing to happen waiting for the customer to call it's like what do you do it's the most frustrating time of, of my life and, and it's the time when I feel like I'm failing but I guess that's part of being an entrepreneur is trying to figure out what to do in those big, dark times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of books, is there any business book you would recommend to our audience? So I, Tim Ferriss was years ago now, I guess his first book, The 4-Hour Workweek, was, that was the book that got me thinking about how to automate things. And uh, so our company still at the moment, we're making good sales. Um, we're shipping globally. Uh, we have manufacturing side. We have marketing teams. We have assistants, accountants, uh, like a full team. But there's still only two of us, and we're doing it all remote. My my partner's in Australia. I work in Taiwan, and I can work anywhere in the world because a lot of the stuff I figured out from Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour Workweek, it's like automate everything. If you can't automate it, then you're stuck. You're stuck doing it yourself. So I learned that very quickly and it saved me a lot of heartache. So where do you see yourself in five years, Mark? Good question. One of the reasons why we launched this company, I do a lot of work for plastic pollution and, and plastic pollution awareness in Asia. And the material we make these straps out of is we make it out of recycled plastic. So this was a really big part of my passion for being an entrepreneur was doing something that I kind of really wanted to do. And what I really wanted to do is highlight plastic pollution. So where I see, you know, myself and the company in five years is just making more products like this, you know, that are environmentally sound, but not eco products, right? So when you buy one of our straps, you're taking a plastic bottle out of landfill or you're taking a plastic bottle out of the incinerator. And that just makes me feel really kind of happy and so the more we sell you know the happier i get so and that's that's kind of my dream job really <laughs> absolutely yeah i saw that you started uh, one brown planet you know for sustainable living uh, i was recently fortunate to meet with david Gottfried, the founder of you know basically the guy who wrote the book on the global green building movement for the lead certification right. system and then we've worked with local companies here uh dirtball fashion and recover 
fashion brands that are making clothing out of recycled plastic. So it's great to yeah. see, obviously, more of a movement into that side of things because people are aware of the issues that we're seeing in the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, recycled plastic, I ask yourself a question. People always say, you know, of course, uh, you know, my plastic gets recycled, but ask yourself a question, how many products do I buy made out of recycled plastic? And then suddenly you realize how little plastic is being recycled. So that's a good acid test for you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Mark, last question in the launch round. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? Crowdfunding has opened up the floodgates for entrepreneurs with just great ideas. And a lot of the ideas not so great, but and they don't launch. I mean, it's it's just the perfect platform for good ideas to get out there. And I think, you know, as the tools get slick and, and easier to use, I think the ideas are going to have to get better because everybody now is going to be launching using the same platform. It's all going to look the same. And it's you're going to start to see the ideas that are just kind of so-so that maybe a few years ago would have launched really well because everything looks slick now. People are really looking through, you know, the shiny websites and the, and the, the, uh, the interviews and things like that. And they're actually seeing good products. So I think the future of crowdfunding is really, really bright. And I think, I think you're going to see a lot more countries getting involved as well outside of, you know, Western Europe, the U S there's there's a heap of things happening over here in Asia. South America and I started to go crazy. So I think it's going to really open up in the next five years. I'm looking forward to it, Mark. Well, this has been awesome. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch. Tell them what you're all about, where people should go and why they should buy a Raptai. Okay. Thanks for that. So, I mean, come check it out. So Raptai.net. We're on sale now and we are the smartest streps in the world. Come check it out. And thanks for listening. I mean, thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to talk to everyone yeah my pleasure audience thanks again for tuning in make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the notes the transcript links to the campaign and the product and everything else we talked about today and of course thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors the gadget flow and backer kit and if you love this episode make sure to leave us a review on itunes mark thank you so much for joining us today on art of the kickstart no problem roy thanks for having me have a good day Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.